0: Good morning and welcome to another week of Across the Pond. I'm completely out of my comfort zone here today, Barry. We're recording and I'm not looking at a camera. It feels weird. It certainly is out of the comfort zone, Chad. We've done video podcasts for all of our episodes so far.
1: And today we're going audio only because the quality of my internet here in quarantine is not that great. So unfortunately for the YouTube viewers, you're not going to be able to see our beautiful faces today. But hopefully our uh, chocolate caramel voices will carry you through. (laughs)
0: Well, let's hope we do just that. Welcome. Pond, the pond with Barry and, Chad. and just like Barry said, he's, you know, really, really committed to the cause there um, for lockdown. I got really angry yesterday. Um, I felt, felt myself having to just pull away from it all um, because it was the most beautiful weather uh, outside and you know we literally had 21 degrees and there were people walking on the street with their friends have the guy even had his shirt off um, and I was just like no you can't do this um, but yeah it's just one of those very hard to not feel emotionally involved in these kinds of things.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think all of us being kind of caged into our houses makes us all a little bit more on edge. And then we see people flouting the rules and taking things not as seriously as they should be. It certainly does get to you. So uh, we're trying to stay calm as we can, but please stay indoors, people.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's go and have a look at what happened this past week. Today's episode is going to be a bit of a marathon session. There's so much to get through, a jam-packed episode. Uh, So hopefully you've got those earphones plugged in and ready to tune in. (coughs) the week that was. So we're going to start this one off, as always, in the last couple of weeks, Barry, with our COVID-19 update. Um, Obviously, if we look at the worldwide number of cases, we've now exceeded 1.2 million, um, which is just insane exponential growth in this last week.
1: Yep. It really has shown that this thing keeps spreading and keeps growing every single day. Um, These cases are are growing at an exponential rate, like you say, and We haven't quite flattened the curve across the world just yet. We've had portions of the world that are starting to stabilize, but there's other portions that are still ramping up. So still a long way to go. I don't think 1.2 million is the max. I think we're going to still go a lot more. Um, And lots of fights against this disease.
0: Absolutely. Well, the next thing that you've got down here, Barry, um, is something that I found absolutely fascinating. Um, We've spoken about Bill Gates on and on and on in this podcast. Um, And, you know, this type of measure for me is really insane uh, for sort of an individual to kind of pick up what's not being done around the world. Tell us more about it.
1: Yes. So obviously the only way to kind of flatten this curve properly and to kind of stabilize this disease is to find some sort of vaccine. So some sort of vaccine that we can put into production and get all around the world to try and make sure that we, we can contain this disease's spread. Now, this vaccine, obviously, there's a huge amount of effort being put in right now into trying to find the vaccine, trying to figure out what is going to work, what is going to be useful, what is going to fight this disease, because it's a brand new strain. We don't have any ideas. We're kind of working off a bunch of different theories and whatnot, but no one's actually got a, a working vaccine just yet. What Bill Gates is doing is he's realizing that even if you find the right vaccine, there's still going to be a significant bottleneck when it comes to trying to produce enough of it and get it all around the world to all the various cities around the world, right? And so that bottleneck comes down to how much capacity do you have to produce this vaccine when we finally find it? So what he's gone and done, he's decided, cool, we need mass manufacturing capacity for this vaccine. How do we make sure we get that and how do we make sure we get it as quickly as possible? And out of his personal money and out of the money of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, he's donated billions of dollars to fund seven different candidates who are all working on different versions of what a vaccine could look Insane. like and helping them scale up their manufacturing company and kind of scale up their capacity to be able to make thousands and hundreds of thousands of vaccines in a very short space of time. So I think it's really cool, Chad, because he is, he's funding seven of these candidates knowing that there's probably likely only going to be one of them, maybe two, that actually works out. And so for five or six of these, these, these ginormous manufacturing concerns, it's going to be wasted money. But in his mind, it's not a waste because by, by making sure the manufacturing capacity is ready as soon as a vaccine is found, it gives us the best possible chance of cutting this as quickly as we can. I think it's really cool.
0: Yeah, I think it is really cool, um, but it's insane. Like you said, uh, just in terms of you know throwing money at something that you know um, a large portion of is going to be wasted. Um, you know, wasted in an economic sense, but in terms of you know looking at the number of lives that could have potentially been saved in the extra number of months, uh, you know that this sort of approach would uh, you know give is is an insane decision to make, um, and especially when you know somebody is prepared to put their personal money forward, um, especially with you know these kinds of numbers. Uh, knowing that this kind of thing is happening, I almost feel like some sort of coalition needs to come together at the end of this um, and almost, you know, help out and and pay a little bit of this back. Yeah, a lot of the social commentary
1: online was that these are the sorts of things that governments should be doing and like world organizations should be doing. Like why are we relying on a a billionaire philanthropist to do this kind of stuff? Um, And it kind of talks to the, the, the misalignment between what governments are working on and what kind of entrepreneurs and people who think about these pandemics quite seriously are doing. Um, So obviously, this is a bottleneck that we're going to face. And uh, like you say, there should be a coalition of governments or or world leaders or that kind of stuff who are putting this money to use to ensure that when we have the vaccine, which we hope will happen in the next couple of months, we then have the the capacity to be able to generate enough of it and get it all around the world. Uh, It seems like a no brainer to me.
0: Absolutely, no, definitely agree there. Um, moving on to the first region, if we kind of dip into it in a little bit more detail, um, the U.S. we spoke quite a lot about last week, and uh, there's been a complete change in strategy here. Um, obviously, you know the exponential growth that we've been seeing there has just been insane. We spoke last week about the inaction over there, um, and now I mean, if you look at the number of deaths, uh, nearly eight and a half thousand, um, really is a staggering number. So, what's happened this past week? What's been the drive for this change? especially when it comes to Trump and uh, his opinion on this.
1: Yeah, so Trump has kind of been found with a bit of egg on his face. After telling the media for for weeks at a time that U.S. has got it under control, we've got everything under control, we're doing a great job, etc., etc., My ratings are amazing, all that good <laughs> stuff, he, f- he finally had to face the fact that these numbers are growing crazily fast, especially yeah. in places like New York. And so unfortunately, like the U.S. has now had to go into complete crisis management, yeah. trying to make sure they get as many doctors on board. They make sure they're trying to get PPE into the country. There's lots of drama around that. And uh, they're seeing a huge exponential growth in the number of cases and the number of deaths in the U.S. Some people are forecasting 100,000 deaths in the U.S., which is crazy. Some wow. people are forecasting more than that. Wow. Um, and so there's there's serious concern there right now. And a lot of anger is being thrown around because of the government inaction early on in the process. So now Trump has kind of changed his whole strategy. He's very, very apologetic now. He's very kind of on board with what the the CDC recommendations are and trying to do his best to now force the various states to do various lockdowns and close down the economy and whatnot. One of the big things he changed his mind on is he was telling people that the economy was going to go back to work on, I think, the 16th of April, uh, which is very, very (laughs) soon. And uh, he had to he had to come out and say, listen, that's actually not going to happen. Like we at least it's it's now extended at least to the thirtieth of April and probably beyond that. Um, and so I think Trump is ha- coming to coming to terms with the realistic nature of this virus and what it's going to do to his economy.
0: It's really sad that we need to wait for things like this to happen, to wait for this to explode, really, like this, um, before somebody actually changes their tune. And that, for me, is the limitation of arrogance. Um, in my mind, holding a position like this, um, without looking at what the rest of the world is doing, without taking consultation from professionals, um, is really just asking for trouble. Um, and you know, arrogance for me has no place in this world.
1: Yeah, it it definitely is. It's one it's one of those those examples of when people hold on to a belief because it, it works in their favor or it's, it's their brand or whatever. He's known as the guy who's going to keep the U.S. economy like high and going strong and whatnot. And so in the face of other evidence that proves otherwise – you hold too too tightly on your beliefs, you end up looking like an idiot. Yep. And so Trump really has got egg in his face right now. And I don't know how the election is going to go. Um, unfortunately, there aren't any real real contenders to him. Like Joe Biden doesn't really fill me with confidence. Um, Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. is not really going to do it. So I, I don't know what the election is going to happen. But Trump has certainly like faced a lot of backlash from this. And a lot of people calling for his head because of the way he's dealt with this. Yep. Um, and uh, the US is going to have a lot more deaths than it should have because of his inaction.
0: Absolutely, sad, sad fact that um, but we'll certainly have to see, as you say the effect on the election as well Now moving on to the UK um, obviously this past week we've seen an increase as well that's been fairly dramatic Uh, If I look at the beginning of the week we were looking at numbers of around 200 deaths a day um, and you know it's now surpassed 700 Um, so again, really scary escalation in one week, Um, as of Sunday there's nearly 5,000 deaths in total Um, and last night, Sunday night as well, Boris was admitted to hospital for tests, um, you know, everyone's saying that it's just precautionary, it's, it's kind of on the back of um, advice from his GP, but certainly worrying again, Barry, that the, the person at the helm of this fight um, is, you know, infected and, and clearly suffering um, a bit from that.
1: Yeah, I think it reminds us that no one is immune from this, right? It doesn't matter your status, it doesn't matter your class, it doesn't matter what position you hold. Everyone is at risk. Um, and so, when your when your national leader goes into hospital, it certainly doesn't look good from a PR perspective, and it certainly like, will cause more fear in the UK population. Um, you need strong leadership at a time like this. You need a leader who's able to calm the masses, who's able to manage yeah. the panic, manage kind of the paranoia. And when he's in hospital, it's a bit tough. So we have to wait and see as to what those test results show and uh, what's gonna happen with Boris, um, but uh, certainly our thoughts are with him.
0: Absolutely. Now, one of the other things we spoke about last week, Barry, was the Excel London venue. Now that is the venue that they've turned from an expo center into a hospital. It's been dubbed the Nightingale Hospital. Um, And what we've seen this past week is that the owner of that property, um, the Abu Dhabi National Exhibitions Company, is charging the health service between two and three million pounds a month um, for that venue. Now. It's one of those where obviously this venue is being used. Uh, but, you know, you'd like to think that this venue would not have been used, uh, you know, for any purposes during this time um, because of the fact that, you know, expos do not follow the social distancing rules. Um, and obviously the, the way that this venue is now being used is going to save many, many lives. Do you think that this kind of arm's length rent uh, transaction should be happening at this point in time um, when, you know, in terms of a, a philanthropic um, endeavor, you know, something else could have taken place here?
1: Yeah, potentially. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how how arm's length that is. I'm not sure what the numbers are relative to. Um, but yeah. fr- from my perspective, this is, this is how capitalism works. Like those guys are paying a lease on that land in London, which is going to cost a fortune. And so I can understand them charging some sort of amount. I've got no idea whether two to three million is, is crazy or not. Um, I don't know exactly. I don't know much about the actual Expo Center. But I think that what we have to be careful in this in these situations is people profiteering or people price sure. pr- price gouging off these sorts of things, right? So I think that it's important that um, people I, I think people should be able to make some money, at least to try and pay pay costs sure. and whatnot. Um, but how much above market rate related rental, or how much above kind of pandemic related rental, I don't know. Um, it's it's a difficult one because they they are paying a lease there, Chad. So I, I, I don't yeah. know if it's fair to ask them to to donate that that money like that. Right. I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair enough, Barry. Um, completely, completely get your points there. Um, I, I have no idea, like you said as well, um, in terms of whether that is arms length or not. Um, but we'd hope that that's not uh, sort of over the top kind of profiteering off of this type of scenario. Um, one of the worries um, when we had such good weather this weekend, like I said in the intro, um, is that people, like you say, kind of flout the rules. People go to parks, um, to sunbathe, um, which you know for a South African probably sounds really strange. Um, but people literally in summer in heat of summer normally um, just go to parks and, and, you know, go in swimming costumes and, and catch up all the sun that they can. Uh, we saw this happening this weekend, um, and on the back of that there's been threats um, that you know, potentially those lockdown measures may escalate. We've obviously spoken about this in the past, but that would certainly be quite a terrible one for you know, the majority of population who's actually been complying with this. Um, and you know, potentially our privilege at the moment to actually go and exercise, leave the house once a day for exercise might be revoked. Um, that's a terrible thing.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the problem with these things. Like for that, for that person who's doing that sunbathing, they probably don't think it's that bad. They're like, I'm here by myself. I didn't yeah. really in, encourage, I didn't encounter anybody who was a kind of a doing my own thing. It wasn't that much harm. But the problem is it sets a precedent. And once one person sees that person doing it, then they're more likely to, oh, maybe I can bend the rule. Maybe yeah. I can bend the rule. And before you know it, you've got a, a worse problem in your hands. I think people what people have to realize is that If you aren't gonna comply with the rules over this short lockdown period, the lockdown is gonna be extended and it's gonna be made worse. So the more you kind of hunker down and just kind of do your bits and do your part in this short period, it saves you time in the long run. It's one of those like Delay gratification things we have to do this now and seriously now for a short period of time to, ha- to help us not have to lock down for months at a time going forward yeah. uh, and so i think it's important for people to realize that, that like i understand that it's tough being like locked inside at home and, and especially when you got the sun outside you never see it in the uk um <laughs> but please 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 take these things seriously and you'll have lots of sun in the future to do uh, to do your sunbathing in rather than like taking a risk now
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just a bit of a plea. Um, you know, I highly doubt any of our listeners are, are in that group. But if you are, guys, please do the right thing. Um, you know, we're all in this together and we, we want this to be over as soon as possible. Um, one of the other things we saw last night was an unprecedented address. Um, you know, Barry was telling me about the number of occasions that this has actually happened. And, you know, I think it, it can be counted on less than two hands, um, where the Queen actually came through and, and did an address um, on Sunday evening um, and started off by thanking essential workers. She also then thanked those who are staying at home, which I take as a bit of a veiled uh, message to those who aren't, Um, you know, you don't deserve that. Thanks. Um, And, you know, some of the other things that she said um, was hopefully in the years to come, everyone will be able to take pride in how they responded to this challenge. Again, setting this message that if you look at yourself in 20 years time, are you going to be proud by the way that you responded today? You know, were you complying? If we remain united and resolute, then we will overcome it. Um, and, you know, also kind of was very sympathetic in the way that she admitted self-isolating is a challenge, um, but it presents an opportunity to slow down, pause and reflect, which is what we've been chatting about in the last couple of weeks, um, and just closing it off with saying, while we have more to endure, better days will come. And that's kind of that light at the end of the tunnel that we've been looking for, Barry. Um, a lot of commentators saying here that this speech has her hands on it. Uh, you know, although she may have got a little bit of input from Prince Philip, um, it doesn't sound like there was a lot of you know, pushing by Downing Street or, or, or pushing by other, other various entities. Um, this is her speech and uh, you know, quite a sympathetic one. What do you think, Barry?
1: I really like the message. I think it's important to realize that we are living through a point in history at right, th- this point in history, we're going to look back on in time, and, and like, you, like you say, and like she says, how are you going to think about your actions during this period? So in 20 years' time, when you're telling your kids about this moment, yeah. or you're reading about this moment, are you going to be proud of how you acted? And I think that's an important thing to remember, is that it might feel like it's the end of the world, and it might feel like this, this quarantine is very, very challenging, but it's actually going to be a blip in time when you look at your life, right? So you're going to look back on this in time. It's going to be a small blip in time. So just make sure you do your best to to act in the right way during this small period. It's a very, very important period for us. And I think that by realizing that and taking that time to reflect and doing what you need to do, you'll be able to look back on this time with pride and uh, and realize that we actually made it through this the seemingly insurmountable odds
0: absolutely absolutely I kind of got the exact same thing from it um, and yeah I, th- I just thought it was really sincere um, and you know this one figurehead that uh, kind of just surpasses everything else. Um, she's sort of above government, uh, has the respect of people across the world um, and, and really can, can kind of just command uh, that, that kind of message. And, and hopefully we can see some effect. Also in terms of the timing, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting timing where we, where we see you know, a weekend where people start kind of swaying a little bit from the rules and, and here you have the queen, uh, this figurehead, who, who kind of steps in just at that time. Uh, don't you think that's interesting, Barry?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think they obviously plan this as best they can to try and manage that. That from PR perspective, and um, like you said, the Queen commands a lot of respect from the UK population, and so it's really good to see her uh, making this kind of statement. And on a Sunday, like you say, hopefully it sets you up for a brand new week to come from Monday, and you can kind of knuckle down and, and do what you need to do and that means staying at home so yeah I think it's really cool
0: absolutely well moving on to the business effects here in the UK um, this past week we've seen debenhams are set to head into administration now they've been under some trouble for some time um, but obviously all of those stores being closed uh, the kind of natural train of progression uh, Arcadia the top shop owners um, are set to potentially hand in notice on up to 550 stores and, the, and their leases that they have on those um, Kath Kitson as well and Another retail uh, chain has also filed a notice to appoint a law firm as administrators. Um, and the last one here is Grant Thornton has asked employees to take a 40% pay cut to avoid redundancies. Um, obviously, we expected these kinds of things, Barry. Um, but, you know, sort of two weeks in, uh, it's certainly a lot more of these things to come from from this lockdown, which is potentially going to be over the next couple of months.
1: Yeah, definitely, Chad. I think that we're going to see a lot more of these things. Um, a lot of businesses are not going to survive this period. Um, I think it's interesting to think about the fact that some people believe that just by pausing a business for two, three weeks, and then you can just restart it at the... At the at the resumption of the yeah. normal normal business, right? And unfortunately, if, if anyone's ever been in a business, you know that's not how it works, right? Yep. You can't just pause a business and then come back three weeks later. So even if a company is strong right now, if the lockdown goes on for a significant period of time, there's no, there's no chance that a lot of these guys are gonna be able to restart. Um, yeah. And so I think I think a lot of people are trying to take proactive action, trying to do the best to take care of their employees if they know they're not going to survive this period. Um, but we're going to hear lots and lots of these stories, shared over the next couple of weeks. And unfortunately, that's going to be the ginormous economic impact we're going to see across the world because of this virus.
0: Absolutely. Is certainly going to have a lasting and profound uh, impact and, and change to the way that we live indeed. Now, the last one I wanted to just bring up here because it kind of came across my screen this morning. Um, and I thought straight away, it is absolutely ridiculous. How can educated people sort of believe this? But there's rumors going around that 5G causes coronavirus by sucking air from your lungs and uh, what's happened on the back of that Barry you'll never believe is that people have actually been vandalizing 5g masts. as a result Um, we've seen BT make a statement that these claims are baseless and kind of imploring people not to damage their infrastructure Um, and if you kind of think about it um, obviously our networks and our sort of cellular infrastructure is now the most important thing that we have to still keep in touch. Um, And people are kind of destroying these masts. It's almost like sticking a hole in a life raft um, as we, we need this infrastructure now more than ever. Don't you think it's ridiculous, Barry?
1: Oh, Chad, you know how I feel about this kind of lack of <laughs> fact-checking and fake news. It really makes me angry when I hear stories like this. And we had a similar one in South Africa we'll come to in a little bit. Um, it's, it really is terrible. I mean, I don't, I don't know if some people are trolling it. I don't know if it's actually as serious as, as it makes it out to be. But the moment people start taking these things for real and then go and vandalize actual technology, I mean, like you say, it's, it's just it's shooting itself in the foot. So it really is stupid. Um, it, 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 it's one of those stories and one of those things that becomes a meme becomes something that spreads very quickly and people don't think about it they just kind of share without even giving it a moment's yeah. consideration yeah. Um, it's it's simply ridiculous
0: well hopefully that kind of dies down a little bit um, moving on to Spain uh, I just wanted to mention this um, obviously we've been kind of checking in and out with where they were at um, and I saw this past weekend that they seem to be close to passing the peak as the number of deaths have fell for two consecutive days certainly a positive message and uh, you know like we've been saying for a lot of nations Uh, something like this is is kind of a signal to the start of the end uh, something that we should all kind of hold on to
1: Yeah, these are the kinds of good, the little pieces of good news we need to hang on to uh, as as we kind of think about this on a global basis. Uh, We've seen with Italy if they've started to reach their peak and now you say Spain as well starting to get to their peak. Hopefully this is the case. Obviously with testing numbers, there's always a little bit of a lag and a little bit of unverification there. So we'll have to wait for a few more days to see if the trend is actually that. Um, But it really is good news and hopefully Spain has finally got themselves stabilized and got themselves to a point where they can manage the disease going forward. And uh, we have to wait for this kind of peak period for all the other countries that are still on the up of the curve. Um, and hopefully we we'll get there as soon as we can so we can start moving on from this virus.
0: Absolutely. Barry, why don't you tell us what happened this past week in your side of the pond, South Africa? Sure thing. So in South Africa,
1: we've been in lockdown for a week now. Um, so well done for everyone who survived the week. Um, it's, been a, it's been an interesting time <laughs> in South Africa. I think a lot of people are watching the news and kind of using that as their their gauge into what's happening around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, as at the 6th of April, which is just before we recorded this, uh, South Africa has 1,585 reported cases and nine deaths, which I think has gone up to 11 this morning, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So at the moment, we are, still in, we are still in the calm before the storm. I, th- I think that we've done very well so far um, to kind of flatten the curve as best we can, but we certainly aren't anywhere near the peak yet, and so we still need to keep uh, keep being like very strict about ourselves, p- not be complacent um, because as time goes on, it gets harder and harder to maintain this lockdown. Um, and as South Africans, like I think we are standing together. I think that the, the morale in the country is actually quite good com- com- compared yep. to what we expected and based on the fact that our economic situation is quite dire. Um, but I think everyone is trying to pull together as best they can and everyone is quite – like buoyed by the fact that our numbers haven't exponentially grown yet, so people are very happy with that. Yeah. And uh, as they start to roll out mass testing over the next week or so, we'll hopefully get the sense that this data is actually accurate. There obviously is a risk that because we haven't done enough tests, that maybe this data is sure. is wildly underestimated. But we'll have to wait and see on that. Talking about the lockdown, Chad. Um, obviously. The big concern in South Africa is not necessarily the health stuff, it's more the economic impacts of this kind of lockdown. And uh, so there's been various calls for all sorts of changes to the lockdown and uh, the the presidency and, and his ministers announced a few changes to our strict lockdown as of yesterday. And some of these changes are as follows. The first change was that people are now allowed to travel to a different province for the funeral of an immediate family member. So this was a very controversial one because um, obviously you don't want people traveling across provinces because there's some provinces that haven't been impacted as much yet. And so there's a risk of taking the virus with them. But in the African community, in the African religion, kind of how they think about their funerals, it's very important that their their family members are buried in their hometowns, which are often not in the cities of Johannesburg, Cape Town, et cetera. So there's an interesting cultural dynamics here, uh, trying to give a little bit of leeway for families to be able to go and bury their family members so that they can get the right ancestral burial grounds and all that good stuff, um, while trying to manage that, w- manage that trade-off with the actual health implications of people potentially going across borders. So it's been a very controversial one, but they've, they've, they've tried to make that a, a new change to the, the lockdown. The second change was also controversial was that they've relaxed some some uh, strict lockdowns on taxi drivers. So taxis are now allowed to transport people in essential services at a max of 70% capacity of their vehicle. Okay. So obviously for a lot of workers who are working in grocery stores or in hospitals or any of the essential services that are still running at this time, some of them don't have their own transport and some of them live in, in rural townships and they need to get into the city to work. so taxis are the only way to get to work. So it's kind of a it's kind of a, a unavoidable one. Obviously, trying to manage how many people are in those taxis. In South Africa, taxis are notoriously overcrowded yeah. all the time. Yeah. And so, they're trying to manage that capacity as best they can. And uh, I, I believe you have to show the permits to the taxi driver you know, to be able to get into the vehicle in the first place. Um, and so, that has been relaxed a little bit um, to some consternation. But, of course, in South Africa, we have unique challenges and taxis are such an important sure. piece of this economy. Sure. So, it kind of makes sense there. Um, The last one I want to cover is that spaza shops are now allowed to operate as an essential service, again, after much controversy. So we're learning a lot about our country here. I think a lot of people don't think about spaza shops, um, especially like in my social circles, because we buy from Woolworths and Pick and Pay, and we're very lucky to be able to shop from major retail stores. But in the more rural areas where there aren't those big retail stores, aren't the big shopping malls, um, spaza shops operate as tiny little grocery stores, right? Kind of like mom and pop owned, small little retail outlets that sell basic foods and and, and items. And uh, initially, they weren't allowed to operate because they weren't considered an essential service. And after much like boycott and much drama, they are now allowed to operate, which I think is the right move. Because to get food to people, we can't expect them to sh- to stand in four-kilometer lines outside of checkers because they have to drive 20 kilometers to get there, right? Where their, lo- their local spousal shop can also operate. So those are some of the, the changes to the restrictions, Chad. Um, we're going to wait and see if there's any more changes in the next week or so. Um, but in South Africa, we are doing okay for now, I would say.
0: Yeah, that's a really good uh, little update there. And in terms of those changes, they definitely do seem reasonable. Um, You know, like you said, taxis are kind of the replacement of what other countries would have as public transport. And, you know, although here in the UK, there's uh, you know, a much sort of condensed um, amount of, of public transport going through, it still is very much up and running um, for those people who need to get around for essential services. So that kind of does make sense. My only concern, though, is that 70%, um, you know, percentage point. Do you think that's enough to curb the the spread of this, um, you know, knowing how small those minibuses are and th- those taxis are, um, to still be able to carry 70% of, of their, Pa- passengers. Um, as far as I know, that 100% sort of uh, capacity is is kind of like 15 odd passengers or so. And um, there's still a lot of people in, in one vehicle.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, this is where the economic trade-off comes in and the fact that if a taxi is only half full, the driver's not making any money, right? Because unfortunately, the price of petrol and kind of the the taxi fares in the country, it's a very, very low margin business. So for someone, if a taxi driver is going to be driving at 50% capacity, he's not going to be able to sustain himself. So I think that's the difficult trade-off there. I agree with you, 70% is not ideal. And it's probably too many people for the health reasons. But to to enable these taxi drivers to actually sustain their business, they're going to need to have that kind of capacity sometimes. And so I think that is the difficulty in South Africa where we don't have the support, Mm. the economic support to try and match the health recommendations from around the world.
0: Yeah, certainly, certainly is a tricky situation, um, but yeah, glad to see that some of those measures have now been uh, opened up. Like like you say, spaza shops are, are essentially the same thing as, uh, you know, big retailers. Not sure why those were not allowed initially, um, unless it is on the specific effects of alcohol, which uh, South Africa is obviously taking quite uh, seriously as well, um, that, you know, you cannot actually purchase any alcohol. Um, I, I would kind of understand from that point of view, but in terms of allowing to uh, buy essentials, um, that just seems completely unnecessary, and I'm glad that that's been opened up um, that takes us past this week that happened uh, now let's look at some of the things that we found interesting stuff i found interesting so in stuff i found interesting the first one is one that barry put down and uh, i had a read of this article which i thought was absolutely fantastic and it kind of made me feel a lot less guilty as well um and uh, <laughs> yeah i mean the key message here barry why don't you take us through it
1: Yeah, so this this is something, Chair, that I'm very, very bad at. I've had this terrible (laughs) habit throughout my life. It's of finishing books that I'm not enjoying, right? I really love reading and I read a lot of books, but I've got this weird thing. When when I start a book, I feel like (laughs) I have the duty and the the obligation to finish the whole thing. Yeah and that results in me slogging through books that I'm actually not enjoying and and when you're slogging through a book that you're not enjoying it can take you months to finish Definitely. it and that and that's a, it's a serious opportunity cost when you think about it because you could be you could be putting that book down and reading something you actually enjoy yep. and this article that we we're referencing here is it really did like stand out to me as well it's called how to read with a subtitle lots of inputs and a strong filter and uh, basically that it's a very short article very easy article basically the thesis is Start lots of books. So buy lots of books, get a whole bunch on your on your on your bedstand, <laughs> on your bookshelf. Uh, don't 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 have like a, a censorship in that input phase. Like get lots of inputs yeah. into your reading diet. But once you started a book and you get to page 50 and you're still hating it or you're not enjoying it or you're finding it slow or it's not for you, don't waste time slogging through it. <laughs> Rather put that book aside, be like, that book wasn't for me. It just wasn't the right thing. Um, let me actually find a book that I actually get value from. And the reason this this resonates with me is because, like like I said earlier, I'm really bad at this. I, I, I feel like there's this guilt. And you mentioned the guilt. I think that's right. Yep. I feel this guilt that I haven't finished this book. But if you think about it, if you look at how many books you're reading in, in a year, um, and it could be anything from 1 to 20 to 50, you already have so many years in your life. And there are yep. like a gazillion good books out there. There's no reason at all to waste time reading bad books because there are so many good ones out there. And So even if it's a book that you've been recommended by a friend, even if it's a book that's theoretically a classic, one of the best books ever made, it doesn't matter. If you're not enjoying it, then don't read it. Like Rather, find a book you actually find value from. So lots of inputs, lots of books on the shelf, and a strong filter. So being able to quit as quickly as you can um, to get to a book you actually enjoy
0: yeah I love I love the message um, and I think a lot of a lot more people will get into reading if they take this approach I think a lot of people like you and me um, feel like they need to trudge through to the end of the book and you know by the end it's not enjoyable um, if it hasn't gripped you it's just not enjoyable and I think for a lot of that reason um, people will rather you know watch Netflix um, because you can very very quickly either get grabbed in something and not feel guilty to watch the end of a movie if you're not enjoying it um, so it's weird that we kind of don't draw that same parallel um, and this little quote that I took from it which I thought was was great as well is similar to dating a book you're not into after 10 minutes of attention has little chance of a happy ending slam it shut and move on you're not a failure if you quit a book after three pages any more than if you reject the proposition of a 10 hour date with someone you just met who annoys you (laughs) lots of fish in the sea and that kind of captures it really nicely Barry
1: I love that quote. I <laughs> really do. I, I think it's really cool. And I think it's it's something that will, like you say, it'll, it'll encourage you to actually enjoy reading. And yeah. it's not about it's not about the the amount of pages you get through it's about the amount of good books that you read and good is different for every single person so I I think it's it's something I need to take on board it's advice I'm trying to give myself (laughs) uh, trying to fight that urge to just finish books for no reason um, and trying to make sure that what I'm reading I'm actually finding value from I think it's really important and hopefully like you say Chad it'll get you to actually read more because if you're enjoying it you're more willing to do it
0: well I'm going to touch on one of the points you mentioned there which is good is different for everyone and uh, basically something that I did this past weekend was watch the first star Wars cue claps from all of the big star Wars fans out there. I'd never (laughs) watched any of the franchise. Um, and you know, one of the reasons why I hadn't, um, is because I had these preconceived ideas about what, These movies would be like, Um, you know, I kind of, I kind of put them right in the distance to all the heavy nerds watch this, and you know, although I'm a very big computer nerd, I'm, I'm kind of not that kind of nerd, and you know, I had these ideas in my mind about what they would be like, and I kind of just hold on to that, Um, and you know, I think that's a really dangerous thing to do because you know, if you're not open to that experience, just like we spoke about the books, um, you may miss out on. Decades long of referring back to something that is actually really cool and something that you actually enjoy um, And you know after watching the first star wasn't being quite proud of this uh, to Barry. I then then what followed was a lot of peer pressure <laughs> um, to watch The Lord of the Rings, to stop what I'm doing and watch The Lord of the Rings. And so I did that too. And so I feel like it was a very good weekend in terms of catching up on the stuff that, you know, a lot of people have been uh, saying I've been missing out on life um, from not watching these two franchises. But don't you think that's a dangerous thing to do, Barry, to sort of hold on uh, to what you think your preconceived idea um, would be?
1: Yeah, I definitely do think it's dangerous. I think it's it's you do yourself a disservice if you're not going to um, look at a piece of art for its own merits and for what you think about it. Right? Everyone's got different opinions, and so if you're going to let the opinions of other people kind of colour your your experience, you're never going to have a full original thought about something. So, for example, like a like a Star Wars thing, I'm a very proud French Chad. I'm very proud <laughs> you finally got to watch it. Um, <laughs> and, and it, it it's a cl- it's a classic set of of movies and a yeah. classic story that really has means a lot of different things to different. People, so like you say, you you had connotations in your mind about what it meant to you, but there are a thousand other interpretations. Some of them good, some of them bad, about the same piece of art. Um, And so I think it's similar to the books. Like rather, rather give it a chance. Like give these things a chance. If you do hate it, that's also okay. Like you you don't have to like everything. You don't have to like every piece of art that's ever been made. But being able to give it a chance and look at it on its own merits and realize that maybe I can get something out of this movie that's different to what my friend got out of it or what the IMDB reviewers got out of it or whatever the story is. Um, I think it's important to look at it on its merits and kind of just take it for what it is. Don't, Don't let preconceived notions get in the way of enjoying something that someone made.
0: Completely, completely agreed. And if you're wondering what I thought of them, um, you know, after that five hours of, uh, of catching up on these classics, um, <laughs> I, I thoroughly enjoyed them both, funnily enough. Um, obviously, you know, the Star Wars, you know, that dates back uh, quite a bit. Uh, so some of the graphics was, uh, was definitely enjo- enjoyable in retrospect. <laughs> but that racing scene holds up to its own uh, even now um, where, you know, little sky, young Skywalker is racing on the back of this bet that gets him out of this pickle that they're in um, it certainly was you know very very enjoyable to watch um, and even just the fight scenes um, you know to kind of think of how they actually animated this all um, 20 years ago is quite insane uh, similar to Lord of the Rings uh, I say it's a barrier complete roller coaster um, so many different plots unfolding at the at different times different species and they all have their own backstories um, and, and really just how all these how this group of people uh, get together the fellowship um, you know on this quest on this mission um and yeah just just a really cool little journey um and really cool graphics as well in terms of some of the scenes there so definitely enjoyed those and like i said i didn't think i would have
1: yeah, that's one of the questions I asked Chad when he when he told me is that do these things hold up? Because I know that Star Wars and Lord of the Rings were both made a while ago and they were revolutionary in their time. Like the kind yeah. of the special effects they brought to to, to bear and kind of the storytelling and, and the way they built these giant worlds with like you say with all these various subplots and characters, they were like one of the kind when they came out and that's why they were so impactful. And so I was wondering whether they held up in a 2020 <laughs> world where we've seen lots of like full world building stories, Game of Thrones and Harry Potter and all these guys come after these ones. Yeah. Um, and Um so I'm glad to hear that pieces of them do hold up, and I think that they are pieces of history when it comes to filmmaking and storytelling. So I'm super chuffed that you get into them, Chad, and hopefully you can enjoy what's left.
0: Thanks, Barry. Yeah. And actually, one other thing I forgot is I also this past week watched the first Frozen, which I haven't seen before. Um, I don't know why Barry's still <laughs> friends with me because uh, I'm, I'm really just... Dude, <laughs> dude. <laughs> I'm really just putting black dots next to my name at this point. Um, but yeah, thoroughly enjoyed that story as well. Um, and that sets up a, a great privilege of being able to watch the second, which I know Barry thoroughly enjoyed as well.
1: I can't believe you hadn't watched Frozen, Chad. That is shocking. <laughs> Listeners, listen. If you're if you're sitting right now with the headphones in your ears, you're sitting in your self-isolation, and you haven't seen Frozen or Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or Harry Potter, do yourself a favor, please. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do yourself a favor indeed. And you've got the time now, so why not? Let's move on and look ahead. Looking Ahead
1: this week on Looking Ahead, we are thinking about the impact that the virus has had on the world and what kind of tech and what things are going to come out of it as we look forward into the future. And so, Chad, I came across this interesting little table on Tyler Cowan's blog, which is one of my favorite blogs in the world. I, I, I swear by it. And he had this table of talking about what has changed in the last couple of weeks because of this global pandemic. Yep. And uh, he, he leads with a quote from, I think it was from Lenin, but that's the attribution's a bit, bit dodgy there. But the quote goes <laughs> as follows. There, there are decades where nothing happens and weeks where decades happen. Yep. And that kind of sums up for me how I've felt over the last couple of weeks. I feel like the whole world has shifted in the space of no time Definitely. after kind of a, a, kind of a lag and a kind of a, a more stagnant period over the last couple of years. Yep. And so what he does is he kind of he draws a table and he, t- and he points to world 1.0, which is like the world before coronavirus, and world 2.0, which what the world after coronavirus might look like. And so I thought I'd go through some of them and chat. We could chat about one or two if they're interesting. Kay. The first piece is World 1.0 was physical. World 2.0 has to be digital. Yeah. And I think it's key to see this because I think that the coronavirus has been the biggest digital transformation coach in the world for businesses around the world yeah. by forcing them to think digital and realize that if their business is not digital, they n- don't have a shot in the new world.
0: Yeah, yeah. Couldn't agree more there, Barry. Um, It is, like you say, uh, it's just this catalyst um, that's kind of shifted these changes that I think would have potentially happened in a number of years. Um, But, you know, it's really just been that flame up our backsides to kind of just push us into the gear um, of this digital working world and kind of leverage all of the benefits that we can potentially get from it.
1: Exactly. The next one, World 1.0 is linear growth. Well, 2.0, we're learning all about exponential growth. And uh, the best way to learn about exponential growth is to go through something like this because we, under- we start to understand what those curves actually mean. And they're not just graphs anymore, but they're actually crazy numbers that grow incredibly fast. And so that's an interesting change we've seen. I think a lot of people are learning what exponential growth is through this whole thing. And hopefully, they will carry forward into how we think about things like Moore's Law, how we think about technology going forward. It's understanding how quickly things can change. Sure. The third piece is looking at how we work. And so world 1.0 is we're in the office by default. World 2.0 might be that we're (laughs) remote by default. So maybe we are remote working for most of the time and we come into the office to, to... to gather together for short periods of time. right? Because I think a lot of people are realizing that when they thought they were working eight or nine hours a day in their office, maybe they actually weren't. Maybe yeah. they were only working two hours a day and a lot of the time was, was spent on nonsense, moving Definitely. around between meetings, trying to get things to work, etc. What if you can do meetings on on, on Zoom or on, on online platforms? Will that change the way we work? And that kind of leads into the next one is that, in World 1.0, how you kind of built your image was a nice suit, tie, a fancy watch, Chad, and a business card <laughs> that you would throw at anybody in your direction mm. at a conferencing event, right? Whereas now, the way you s- set yourself apart is with good lighting. It's with a good microphone, yeah. a webcam, and a home office where your family don't come running in in the middle of a news broadcast. <laughs> um, so, so, definitely changes in the working world there, Chad.
0: Yeah, definitely. I love the idea of how these symbols are things that we used to use in the past to make us come across with more Gravitas, Barry's favorite word. Um, and it's true. Um, you know, whereas now we kind of look at, like you say, lighting and microphone uh, infrastructure and, uh, you know, your kind of a backdrop in, in your home office. Like you say, if you want to succeed in this world, that is World 2.0. And that is coming at us really, really quickly, it seems. Um, it's not a bad idea to maybe put some investments in tech stuff that you potentially wouldn't have been interested in before. Um, you know, people like me would have had this stuff anyway because uh, we, you know, we kind of have enjoyed. This stuff for some time, Uh, but yeah, definitely now is the time to kind of make those investments um, in the place of the old school suits, ties, watches, etc.
1: Definitely, definitely. The next one is that in world 1.0, we have restaurants which are obviously closed right now, and so a lot of people are realizing that oh no, maybe I was going to a restaurant three or four times a week Mm -hmm. and now I'm forced to cook at home. Um, well 2.0 is perhaps groceries and delivery Um, thinking about the fact that I think a lot of people were reliant on restaurants for their food and as a result they didn't learn to cook they didn't learn to prepare their own food and they were spending huge amounts of premium um, on buying restaurant quality food a lot of the time and I think a lot of people are learning that maybe that's not possible anymore maybe I should learn to cook and maybe I should learn to prepare food at home and reap the economic benefits of that
0: yeah, that's a really interesting one. Um, I heard somebody else mention this idea, and, and for me, for a little while, it kind of it kind of rang hollow. But the more you think about it, uh, like you say, when you start realizing what that premium is and how much money you can actually be saving by eating more at home. Not saying restaurants are going to go away completely, um, but certainly, I think it's a massive, massive threat to to that industry. Um, especially where you know, as you say, we're now upskilling ourselves in these times, uh, cooking a bit better, getting a bit more adventurous. Um, and you know, sort of on the back of that, um, saving loads of money as well.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I think we're really interesting to see what will happen to restaurant industry once we open up again, and, and how quickly can they recover, and to what level can they recover. Yeah. Because I think a lot of them are under serious stress right now, not being able to get foot traffic through their doors. I'm going to run through the last ones quite quickly, but to give you a sense of what, what this looks like. World 1.0, stupid nonsense, world 2.0, actual issues. So focusing on the actually important things, things that really matter, rather than the, the nonsense we talk about in a time yeah. where things are normal. World 1.0, complacency. Life is very easy. Life is going well. Everyone's kind of relaxed. World 2.0, action. People trying to solve problems today because time matters. World 1.0, globalization. We'll get everything in from China. We will import from everywhere else. We will focus on the globe as a whole. World 2.0, decoupling. Realizing that we can't be too reliant on one supplier in one country or one country's resources. We have to look after ourselves sometimes and not not rely on immigration or those sorts of things. So that's interesting, a change there. World 1.0, avoiding social issues. And World 2.0, avoiding layoffs. So a lot of companies are dealing with this right now. Like For World 1.0, the HR department and all of their leadership were focused on quite nice-to-have problems, like relatively nice-to-have problems, whereas now World 2.0, all they care about is saving jobs. And so it doesn't matter about your opinions right now, it doesn't matter about your... Ideas for the company going forward, doesn't matter about any of that stuff, we're trying to save jobs. And the biggest one for me at the bottom here, Chad, is world 1.0, stasis, everything's going exactly the same, the status quo is in action, world 2.0, change. Everything is going to change. The only constant is change. And so the better we are able to adapt to that, the better we are able to be flexible about what we think and what we believe, the better chance we have of actually surviving a world that is changing so fast underneath our feet.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, obviously we've gone through that list and it's all logical, it all makes sense. But I think seeing it in a tabular format is really effective because it just rings home the idea of the, the contrast here between the two. Um, we can, you know, kind of extend these each into a paragraph of their own and kind of justify the reasoning, etc. Um, but just seeing that in a simple tabular format uh, for a blog post, certainly something different, Barry.
1: Yeah, definitely. This is, this is why I love this blog, is that the blog is so succinct, but so powerful in how they how dis- display information. And so in this blog post, there's a whole bunch more. I kind of pulled out a few to chat about. So I definitely would encourage you go and check out Tyler Cowan. His blog is called Marginal Revolution. He posts like three or four times a day, which is Crazy. Okay. And they're all good stuff, like very, very short pieces, a lot on economics, a lot on philosophy and those kind of things. It really is up my alley. And so if you like the kind of stuff we chat about here on the podcast, you'd love that blog.
0: Well, definitely do go and check that out. Now, keeping on the looking ahead note, we were talking about the actual platforms that facilitate this change to remote working and facilitate this change in communication all in all. And we recommended this app called House Party a few weeks back, um, which allows you to have these virtual house parties and play games really with friends. Um, and there's been rumors, circling circulating um, potentially by opposition apps really uh, now that they've seen such exponential growth that downloading this app can allow the users other accounts such as Netflix and Spotify to be hacked. Now House Party have come back and tweeted that this is baseless um, and what they've actually done uh, which I think is completely unprecedented is offering a one million dollar bounty for the first individual to provide proof of such a campaign um, and they've listed the the email address there for this one million dollars insane uh, to see this kind of action and certainly certainly putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah, definitely. It's brilliant marketing, really, because they're trying to turn a rather nasty
1: situation, a kind of situation that makes them look quite bad, and trying to turn it around and kind of put the pressure on whoever is spreading this news. Um, I th- I think it wh- why it's so dangerous for them is because we've seen lots of other kind of security concerns on people like Zoom and whatnot in the in the recent past, yep. because they have all of a sudden these unprecedented volumes of people on their platform, and so there's obviously going to be small security bugs. There's going to be small issues because the software was not designed to have millions and millions of people on at the same time um, and they're trying to figure out how do they change their business how do they keep up with demand and so that's why this is like in the realm of plausibility and so House Party obviously come out and try and, try and show that it is, it's yeah. not the case and they're trying to fight against that fake news which is absolutely rampant at the moment
0: completely agree now you hinted at a bit of fake news earlier on Barry and we actually didn't get there um, in terms of the South Africa part of the COVID-19 update uh, let's just quickly throw it in what was that fake news this week?
1: Oh, Chad, it really makes me angry, and I, I was getting visibly frustrated at my Twitter last night, uh, which was what was getting to me. Um, basically, so everyone's talking about the vaccine. We chatted about Bill Gates right at the top of the episode, and for some reason, Bill Gates is in is in a lot of conspiracy theories at the moment. There's a lot of people throwing his name into these crazy conspiracy theories that really like, are terrible. And the one conspiracy theory that kind of took over South Africa in the last few days was this idea that... Bill Gates wanted to test various vaccines on African people because their lives weren't as valuable as, say, Europeans or Americans. And so there were these two French doctors who, who mentioned something in that realm about trying to test vaccines outside of France, um, and there was huge controversy there. And then people started pulling up these random Bill Gates clips from like documentaries from 20-odd years ago and trying to claim that he was intending to test vaccines in Africa first. And so there was a huge hashtag that started, News24 ran with it and wrote this like huge like article about it. There was a ha- hashtag called Africans are not lab rats, which went viral, wow. went all over the country wow. and uh, people were losing their minds and there were lots and lots of angry things being thrown at them. Trevor Noah, who had interviewed Bill Gates the day before for his daily show, got received death threats about it for interviewing wow. Bill Gates and Bill Gates was being thrown around like a crazy person. And uh, I saw th- I saw this morning. Like, oh, obviously, it's not true. Like I- anyone think of a little consideration. Bill Gates is one of the people who's done as much as possible to save the lives of African sure. people. I don't know if there's any one individual who's done more for African health than Bill Gates has. Yep. Just in the, the amount of work and the amount of money he's put into that 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 cause. Definitely. And so to try and, to try and suggest that he wants to not, I don't know, depopulate Africa is it w- just completely silly. People ran with it though because News24, which is a very like valid and, and, and v- like trusted news organization, wrote a story about it. Yeah. And so then, Chad, I come on Twitter this morning and I see they've retracted it. They've retracted the story saying, we're really sorry, we made a big mistake. Um, he's not trying to test um, vaccines in Africa. He's actually sending tons of testing kits and trying to help Africa deal with the gosh, virus. Gosh. And so this retraction kind of rang hollow for me because it, it, it was such a big issue for two or three days that how do you know that you're going to get the retraction to everyone who saw that email and who has changed the opinion on Bill Gates or changed the opinion on how Africa is viewed in the rest of the world? And what maybe even more sad was and I went to the replies on that News 24 attraction, and I would say 70 to 80% of them were just saying that no Bill Gates paid News 24 to make that attraction. Oh, they wow. actually are lying. The story is still true, etc. So Gosh. this kind of fake news is something that I find horrifying. I think it's terrible for our democracy, it's terrible for freedom of speech, it's terrible for trying to make sense of our world. Yeah. And it really frustrates me because people don't do even the smallest piece of research to back up their claims and a claim like this, which is a very, very serious kind of defamatory claim yeah. on somebody is, is a serious thing and to just run with it and make it a meme, make it a hashtag and all that good stuff. It just shows the state of fake news in our world.
0: Yeah, that's really, really dangerous. Um, I, I don't even know how it's good enough, um, you know, that they can actually run with a story like that without, checking their facts, etc. it's just not good enough. We just shouldn't stand by it. It's actually insane. Um, and to be completely honest, I've actually stopped using Twitter um, mostly um, because I do find that I, I find myself clicking on these types of threads and just getting angered um, by the amount of commentary from, from people all around the world who really just don't think before they post something. I really do find that tricky on being on the platform. Is it something that I'm missing or do you kind of feel the same thing typically, Barry?
1: Yeah, so I feel the same things in certain circumstances. So like yesterday, I got very frustrated. But for me, Twitter still adds an immense amount of value. I think it really depends on who you follow. Sure. You have to be very careful with curating your feed very carefully and only following reliable people. Yeah. I do a lot of blocking. So anytime I see any, someone who's doing this, because what Twitter does as well is that they often show you tweets people you don't follow. Yep. They show you a tweet of someone because your friend liked tweet and therefore it comes into your feed. Yep. And I'm like, that's nonsense. So I, I, b- I block a lot on Twitter to try and, m- try and minimize that. As best as I can, okay. but when it comes to real-time news, when it comes to I'm getting opinions from people that I respect and from people that I, I want to follow, I, I still find a lot of value from Twitter. Yep. But I totally get it, Chad. I totally get your, your your sentiment there. I think it's a difficult app for people. I think it, it requires a lot of maintenance to make sure your feed is as yeah. clean and as reliable as possible.
0: Well, I didn't actually even think of doing that maintenance, so maybe maybe I should, um, and maybe I'll be able to then get more out of it uh, like you are. So let's move on to our next segment. Develop and Grow Cool, so we've chatted a little bit about the Einstein biography Barry read by Walter Isaacson and, uh, you know, what are some of the additional things that you've now learned after finishing that, Barry?
1: Yeah, so I finished the book, and uh, I do have it as a prop here, but then I realised we're doing audio only, so you <laughs> won't be able to see it anyway. But uh,
0: the Einstein book uh,
1: was was fascinating. I had this weird recollection where I I kind of thought, Chad, that after reading this book of 550 pages of Einstein's life, that I would sort of understand his <laughs> theories and I sort of understand his science, right? And I said to you that at one stage I thought I did understand it. I thought I, I thought I would grasped it, and uh, I realised now at the end of that book that I, I don't have the scientific chops to understand his work. Um, he c- clearly was very. Influential, and I, I have a small appreciation for what he did for physics, but I just don't have the theoretical understanding to actually understand those topics on a deep level. And so, what I thought I'd do rather is pull out three to three kind of takeaways for me about his work life and about his his um, his habits and whatnot in a, in his work environments, which are more transferable and more relatable to people like us, Chad, um, and not the, the theoretical physicists. So, the first one is what I call intellectual honesty, and we've talked about this in the past is knowing when we don't know something yep. and being willing to admit that, right? Or being willing to, to, to change your mind when the evidence changes. Yep. So for example, we, we've spoken a lot about how we hold onto these opinions very tightly, we hold on to these beliefs very tightly, and we, w- the moment that we become dogmatic is when we see evidence that, that disproves our theory, but we aren't willing to change our mind. Because we, make, we, we think it makes us look weak, we think it makes us look like a flip-flopper, yep. <laughs> we, think, we think it's embarrassing, Einstein was really, really good. At the moment evidence changed, he would change his whole theory. He wouldn't even care about it. He had no ego about his ideas. He had no ego about what he was doing. Right. For one example, for at one stage of his career, he worked for three years on the theory, three years solid, working every single day at Einstein-level productivity, and got to the end of the three years, hadn't been able to prove it. All of a sudden, new evidence came to light that made his theory completely wrong, And he didn't cry about it. He didn't like fight about it. He literally (laughs) dropped that theory and started a new thing the next day. And it didn't bother him at all. He didn't bother him that he'd lost three years because in his mind, it wasn't losing three years because in all those things that he tried to try and get the theory to work, he contributed more to science than a lot of people did with their actual discoveries because he disproved a bunch of things. And so I think it's important for all of us to not hold our beliefs so tightly and be willing to change our mind because it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of intellectual honesty and we need more of it in our world.
0: Completely agree, I think it's an important message, um, and just to sort of talk back to the arrogance point I raised earlier on, the reason why arrogance bugs me so much is is i don't understand how people can be uh, when there's so much knowledge out there but there's so much to still learn um i understand there's amazing, amazing people out there in the world, um, but even the most amazing still have things to learn. Um, And so, you know, for me, when you kind of take that approach of, um, you know, challenging everything that you know, and, uh, you know, something like you mentioned, taking three years of work and being able to drop it at a hat um, when you realize it's kind of worthless um, is, yeah, certainly, certainly shows quite a lot of kind of humility um, and, you know, as you say, intellectual honesty, which is an important, important attribute to have.
1: It really is, and unfortunately it's in very short supply in the world today, so if you're able to do it yourself, you'll put yourself in a league of your own, and you give yourself the chance to make actual breakthroughs that are actually gonna help the world. The more you hold on to ideas just because they were what you believed previously, the less time you have and the less kind of chance you have of of discovering the actual truth. Uh, So it's very important that. The second piece I pulled out was the concept of deep work. And uh, so Einstein is obviously the most famous scientist that's ever lived. When, when he finally made those discoveries around special relativity and general relativity, he became this super famous figure because he had changed the nature of the cosmos and how we thought about physics. And so when he became famous, he was inundated with media requests, with journalists, people trying to get a piece of him, people trying to get him to cut ribbons and sign autographs and, and talk on programs and you know all that good stuff. And he realized that this was all a distraction. All of the stuff was lots and lots of distractions. He could have easily kind of given up on his work and gone and become a public figure and spoken on panels and all that good stuff and led a very successful career. But he knew that he wouldn't be able to achieve the kind of things he had achieved before he was famous if he didn't commit to the kind of deep work that was necessary. So what that means is that he shut away all those distractions. He would go and hide in a cabin in the woods away (laughs) from everyone else so no one could find him, so that he could spend long periods of time uninterrupted by other people to work on difficult topics. And that skill is so rare in our world today because we all have mm-hmm. short attention spans. We have smartphones that ping us a thousand times a day. We have distractions all over the place. Um, if you're able to to focus on one difficult task for a long period of time, and so I'm talking three or four hours at a time, yep. without distraction, that is when the real breakthroughs come. Not when you're doing 20 minutes of work and then a distraction, and then five minutes of work and then a distraction, and then you check your Twitter, you check your Facebook, etc. and your whole day is just <laughs> full of like tiny little pieces of chunks. Yeah. Um, Deep work is is that idea of taking long periods of time without distractions, your phone locked away in a cupboard to work on difficult things and that's where the real breakthroughs come.
0: Yeah, it's hard. That kind of level of focus is really hard and it's something that I certainly need to, you know, do a bit of work on as well. Um, but you're right. Um, it's when you kind of actually plunge yourself into that kind of mode of focus. And a lot of authors have written about this and that state of flow um, where your, your sort of brilliant ideas actually come about and you actually start to to make a difference, um, which is yeah, certainly important.
1: And the last one is kind of related to what we talked about the three years of work is Perseverance. Yeah. Right, so Chad, I don't know. I, I don't know if you or I could could have spent three years working on a theory that wasn't showing any promise. That to me is is a, a level of perseverance and level of resilience that I don't know if I have. No. Um, and it kind of talks to the man that he was. Is that he was so dedicated to his craft and so dedicated to his work, and he realized the kind of problems he was trying to solve weren't problems that are solved like this. They were difficult, difficult problems that mm-hmm. had, that had flummoxed people for for generations and so you understood that in order to make those breakthroughs it would it would take years and years of work it doesn't happen overnight And I think it's just a message for all of us to kind of realize that if you're doing something difficult, if you're trying to to, to build something new, you're trying to build a new habit or learn a new skill or any of this stuff, you have to stick with it. You have to stick with it as long as you can. Um, The moment you get to that first kind of plateau or the first time you don't feel like you're growing, you need to push through those plateaus and keep persevering because that's the way you get through it. Um, And I think Einstein really was a dramatic example of that. He worked his entire life for like two or three major discoveries that changed the, the nature of physics, he could have easily given up two years into that theory, right, or four yep. years into that theory, and uh, we, we'd never have the, that insight. And so persevere on things that matter to you and things that are difficult, and you'll reap the rewards in the long run.
0: Yeah, again, another important value to have. Um, and, you know, those plateaus that you mentioned are so normal Um, in any kind of stage of learning a new piece of work or or sort of working on something new Um, and at those plateaus a lot of us are are, you know not strong enough to kind of keep on through it Um, sometimes it's those marginal gains um, those marginal gains that are also important in spending that extra time in in kind of getting through it Um, but yet some of us still kind of stick out those plateaus and actually fall off the edge of the cliff um, which we really shouldn't be doing Um, but three years like you said I definitely couldn't uh, get to that kind of level. Um, But you never know, maybe one day. Um, Moving on to the next thing on this Develop and Grow segment, Um, this week was webcast week. Um, I don't know why, but uh, kind of all the stars aligned and I had invites to four webcasts this week. And, you know, given that there wasn't a whole lot more to do, I thought, fantastic, let me kind of uh, relish this challenge and and sort of tune into each of these and get some little insights. Um, So I'm kind of just going to go very briefly over each of the four and and some of the key takeouts that I got from them, um, which... Which, you know, I firstly, I, I kind of strongly advise if you do have any webcasts and they seem like they could be of value, take that extra time, take the one or two hours, tune in because you could get some really cool things out of it. Um, and the other cool thing is there's a chat going on and there's an online community there where you can share different views and, and, and you know, really, really get a lot more out of the whole process. So just onto the first one, which was a mental health webcast. One of the insights for me is is how do you see this? Do you see this piece of time as a comma? or a full stop. And based on the way that you see that, um, you completely, completely can change your mental state. Um, So is this just a pause in our normal lives or is this just a complete dramatic disruption? Um, And, you know, kind of if we just change the way we look at it um, and and see it more as a pause, um, we'll kind of get ourselves out of that depth of despair and and kind of feeling of helplessness. The other thing was to keep to a daily routine, uh, which is something we've really spoken a little bit about, but create your daily structure around looking after yourself. So Barry and I spoke, this morning about his fitness routine and he mentioned he needs to squeeze it in first thing in the morning otherwise you know it's not going to get done and if it doesn't get done you know you, you, you're not feeling so great so create that structure primarily around looking after yourself whether that is journaling whether it is you know doing your actual fitness routine um, having little moments to just be quiet and, and be with your thoughts create your structure around that thirdly was this idea of, of not just using a journal for introspection and mental clarity um, but also if you're kind of not invested in the idea of using a journal to kind of try and swing you that way um, how cool would it be if you know a decade later you had this little piece where you could show your kids where you could show your friends how you lived through this time um, to, to actually look back on. And, and that's also another really cool thing that I thought, um, you know, to kind of persuade people to, to keep journals. Um, and then lastly was uh, to just be wary of all of these 21-day challenges. Um, you know, the speaker actually said you can end up having challenge-itis. <laughs> and uh, it's it's it makes complete sense because if you take on all of these channels at the same time, you might actually increase your overall anxiety. Now, the idea here is to give you something to do, but if you're just taking them all on, You're actually just setting yourself uh, an unachievable goal. What do you think, Barry?
1: I think those are all great points, and I, li- I like the last one the most. Um, we ch- we chatted <laughs> about the book Tiny Habits on a on an f- earlier episode, talking about that people try and take on too much too often, yep. and uh, you set yourself up for failure if you're trying to do a yoga challenge and a no chocolate challenge <laughs> and a um, fitness challenge and a reading challenge, and yeah. j- like it just becomes too much, and all of a sudden <laughs> your day becomes a chore because you've got this to do list of all the challenges you've got to do, yep. um, and it's just, just too much. So like you say, take it one step at a time, um, figure out one thing to practice or one thing to yep. work. One at a time, and you're gonna be much happier, and you're gonna have much better success over the long term. Remember, we don't have to change our entire life during this lockdown period. It's yep. not about um, in, in, exiting this lockdown period as a brand new person with a six pack <laughs> and like no uh, no bad habits and all that good stuff. Mm. It's about being kind to ourselves and taking it one day at a time, and uh, yeah, doing small bits at a time.
0: Absolutely. Well, moving on to the next one, which was uh, a working from home uh, webcast and uh, kind of one of the, the key themes here was just to talk to people who are leading others, um, two managers out there. And uh, the key message was let go, trust your workers and don't micromanage, um, you know, focus your time on taking care of the emotional state of employees and, uh, you know, let yourself be vulnerable too. Um, if you as a manager can also mention without any sort of shame um, that you're also struggling through this lockdown situation, maybe you'll get a bit of a better rapport with your with your workers. Um, and, you know, I think that's also quite important. And then lastly was to celebrate achievement. Um, I think in these times where you're not in the office and you're still trudging away at home, um, you know, without that achievement, some of it can kind of seem a little bit pointless. And so um, still celebrate those achievements um, with your workers and with your team, um, which I thought was also quite important. Secondly was this idea of a check-in and check-out that we now have to add to our meeting process. Because of the fact that we're now working from home and doing these remote interactions, the check-in stage is an opportunity for you to screen the room and get a feel for every single person's emotional state at the beginning of the meeting. Um, and then the checkout stage is obviously tracking how that emotional state has changed. And lastly, it kind of makes a way for a summary of action points, um, which obviously you know kind of follows by the agenda that you've discussed. And lastly, was just a point in dealing with a surge in emails. Um, obviously, because we're not all in the same office and it's not so easy to go and poke somebody's shoulder, um, there's gonna be a surge in emails. And so he kind of just said, try and avoid sending emails for everything. Try and just pick up the phone. You'll have yourself to thank and everyone else will thank you as well for it. Barry, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I like it. I like it. I think I want to pull out the check-in and check-out thing because I've yeah. got a personal experience there. At our last startup, we used to do that in every single meeting in person okay. or on Zoom. Right. And the check-in and check-out really is a, is a cool way to do it. I think that it it really kind of pulls out the humanity and the people in the room and you, you see them not just as an employee but actually as yeah. a human with actual other life. <laughs> and a lot of emotional things came out of those check-ins and check-outs okay. because you find out things about them that maybe they're struggling with or maybe they really yeah. want to be celebrated or they're enjoying, etc. That can really help you be a better manager and a better teammate. Definitely. So I'd really encourage it. I think it's a great way to do it. What's important though is that the, the managers and the leaders in those rooms need to take the lead there and be vulnerable in those check-in and check-outs yeah. to kind of set the stage so that everyone else doesn't feel like sure. vulnerability is a, is a bad thing. And yeah. if you're setting the stage and you're setting the, the example there, then it's a really good thing to do.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, definitely would be interesting to see if people actually take that on. Um, and hopefully we'll end this lockdown situation with more empathetic workforce as a whole. That would be really cool. Um, the third webcast that I actually took on was a financial aspects kind of webcast. Um, and some of the things I took out of there was uh, the idea of globalization, which we've really spoken about in your your table up above, Barry. Um, but kind of the idea of how this pandemic will affect the way we look at globalization. Um, now that we've seen the effect of all of these border closures. And as you say, relying on uh, different nations for trade, um, you know, maybe that that might actually end up changing, and, and we we might end up decoupling, like you mentioned above. Uh, changes in the way that we live, we've also spoken a little bit about that in the retail sector. We're likely to see some very permanent damage. Um, we've been more reliant on online shopping ever than before. Um, I know in South Africa it's a bit different. Um, I believe Takealot.com is kind of an empty website at this point in time, and you're actually not allowed to shop. But here, Amazon is still very fully functional and so are a lot of other online players. Um, and then also just in terms of working from home, we've we've chatted about that. Um, but the idea of where you said that remote working is going to be the default, um, how is that then going to have an effect on real estate on these big office blocks that companies have been paying loads of fixed costs in the form of rent to um, you know potentially it'll switch to a, a two day work week or so or two day a week where you need to actually come into the office um, and you know that will certainly let uh, employers and companies scale down quite a lot um, which will obviously change the uh, the real estate landscape too and lastly it was just on the government interventions point um, where if we look in all likelihood, um, it's going to be likely that governments are going to have to bail out airlines at some point of this pandemic. They've been asked to shut down with sort of no real uh, end date in sight, and it's just a matter of time really before these things start collapsing without bailouts. Um, and the interesting, but there is is the catch twenty two that this poses in terms of climate change. Uh, now, if a government bails out an airline, what sort of message does that send uh, as to their compliance with with trying to bring down, uh, you know, climate change uh, efforts? What do you think, Barry?
1: Yeah, it's interesting to see. I think that, like you say, that the airline industry is significantly affected and uh, it really is changing the way we think about travel. I think before this before this virus, global travel was kind of a given and it really was um, all around the world and was important for global business and for people moving about from country to country. It's really going to change now to think about what is the impact of this airline industry and uh, how much money we're willing to sink into it to try and get it back on its feet how much of this travel is actually necessary, how much of this travel is, is required or, or um, is actually needed. And uh, so I don't know what's going to happen. I, th- I think, like you say, the bailout's going to have to come in some some way or form. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be a difficult one because I think a lot of people are learning from this experiment that a lot of this stuff can be done remotely. <laughs> a lot of this stuff can be done from home. Exactly. And so maybe you'll see travel go down, I don't know. Um, so going to change where we think about travel the long term.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then on to the last webcast, Barry, which was uh, sleep, obviously the ever important and the one that we fascinated by um, after reading Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Um, I'm going to say that the most of the insights here were the same as what you'd get from that book, but I'll quickly just mention a few of them here. Um, so the first one was just go to bed and wake up at the same time daily, even on weekends, and especially in this lockdown period where we kind of don't even know what day it is anymore. Um, it feels like an extended <laughs> weekend um, but even on weekends wake up at 7 if that's what time you wake up in the week um, because extending that by an hour is actually just doing an involuntary jet lag um, which is an insane thing to do if you think of it like that um, try out the benefits of power naps now that work from home allows um, one of the things that Matthew Walker mentions in Why We Sleep is that as humans we're kind of accustomed to biphasic sleep cycles and we actually we actually feel that dip in our energy after lunch and uh, you know, kind of need uh, that little power nap so, so try doing Power naps now, now that you can. Um, These must not be after 4 p.m. and not be longer than 20 minutes for you to get the full benefits from it. Um, Just try it out and see what you think. And then, lastly, is your evening routine. Um, So, in terms of the conditions that we need to fall into sleep, um, temperature drop is needed. A lot of people think 17 degrees Celsius sounds freezing, um, but funny enough, that's what you need to actually commence successful sleep uh, is a bedroom that's at that temperature. So if you've got central heating on in your flat, you're actually just being uh, counterproductive in that sense. Um, and then in terms of when you eat, the longer the fast from your last meal to bedtime, the easier you'll fall asleep. In terms of your alcohol consumption before bed, um, it may feel like you're sleepy after having a couple of pints of beer, um, but because it's a sedative, uh, but it's actually disrupting the quality of your sleep. Um, so just try and, and look at the last beer you've had before bed um, and try and time it in the longest possible gap and lastly in terms of your lighting um, so the role of blue light we've all heard about uh, sort of melatonin and all that kind of stuff Um, so two hours before bed you really need to try and start dimming yourself down turn all your blue light filters on that you possibly can and as a sort of hard and fast rule try and cut all the electronic screens out 30 minutes before bed um, just to try and not disrupt your sleep patterns barry
1: yeah, I, I like it all. I think it's, it's very similar to what Matthew Walker said in that book and uh, it's something that I try and do as best I can. Yeah. What I struggle with is power naps. I can't seem to get those <laughs> to work, Chad. I try and do those power naps really? and I wake up feeling like a zombie. I wake up feeling like even worse than I did before I went to <laughs> sleep. So I'm still working on that piece but the rest I try and do as best I can. Um, I find it really difficult to put the screens away yeah. as early as I should be. That's true. I find myself getting these bad habits where I'm sitting, scrolling through Twitter, for example, late at night when I shouldn't be. Um, But I think these are things to work on and these are things that will really make a difference when it comes to the quality of your sleep, which matters way more than how many hours you get. It's about the quality you get and it's going to make you feel even better and more productive in the days to come
0: absolutely it's that ever so important thing of sleep that we think is trivial uh, but really affects everything from weight to you know appetite to uh, productivity and and sort of just health and and happiness and enjoyment Um, so yeah if we can kind of try and aim for any of those that would be a good place to be now let's hear from you on our last segment of the podcast what's on your mind Cool. So I actually forgot to apologize right at the top of the episode. Um, <laughs> last week, we just didn't have any questions um, because I actually went out on my Instagram feed and, and asked if anyone had any questions and just assumed no one replied, um, not knowing that I actually had to go back into the post um, to actually check the responses. And I really, really apologize to all of my friends who did send in <laughs> questions. Um, I've been bad. Um, there were some questions. And so we're going to take them on now. Better late than never, Barry, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I do apologize on Chad's behalf to all his friends. Um, He won't do it again. He he now knows where the questions are. Uh, So please do send through your questions every week. We love hearing from you and uh, trying to do our best to answer them.
0: Cool. Well, let's start off with the first one. Uh, This one is from Kull, which is what are you doing as a coping mechanism during the lockdown period? And is there anything in particular you have set as a goal for yourself during this time? Barry. Yeah, so um,
1: coping mechanism-wise, I'm trying to phone a friend every single day. That's kind of been my my little thing, to try and keep myself not feeling so isolated. And so it's been really nice to kind of jump on a video call and try and call at least one friend every day. Um, Just try and catch up with them, hear how they're doing, kind of uh, commiserate with what they're doing through in their quarantine, wherever they are in the world. And that's been really good for me, just to try and keep me social and keep me talking to people that I care about. Um, And often i found that I have catch-ups that I haven't had in a long time because life was so busy before this time, right? (laughs) And so I've I've heard a lot of things and had really good chats with people that I haven't had a good deep chat for a long time. So I'd say that's probably my coping mechanism. Goal-wise, I actually haven't set any goals for myself, and I'm cool. quite proud of myself because usually I'm <laughs> I'm very like specific about that, and I have 18 different goals for the lockdown period. But uh, like we've mentioned in the past, I've gone through a bit of a tough mental health kind of year or so. Yeah. And a lot of it, I think, is because I have been too hard on myself yeah. and I haven't been meeting kind of some of the goals I've been setting. And so i have really, really enjoying. I've certainly got things that I'm doing during this period, but I haven't set a specific Definitely. goal that has the, the chance of disappointment during this time. I'm just trying to look after myself yep. and uh, make small steps on, on my my larger goals, which are more like long term, rather than a 21-day goal. What about you, Chad?
0: Amazing, amazing. I think a lot of people are going to take a lot of insight from that, um, just in terms of yeah, being easy on yourself and uh, you know having an idea of things you'd like to get done, but don't hold yourself to it in in that kind of um, way that you know you've sort of setting yourself up for failure and uh, you know if you do fail at it um, you know it'll affect your your mental health Um, in terms of me what I would say as a coping mechanism would probably be exercise um, to be honest I've been joining in uh, hit sessions with my fiance. I've also then been uh, heading on to my turbo trainer and uh, watching Zwift and also just heading outside because we were allowed to uh, for one exercise session a day um, only every couple of days just to get some sun and, and feel the fresh air and, and really have a nice little run and, and be with my thoughts. Um, in terms of goals, I've really just been trying to still be productive. Uh, so I haven't, like you, Barry, I haven't set a, a specific goal by the end of this lockdown period, this is what I've done. Um, but I'm, I'm just trying to be productive. So every single day, I'm kind of taking it a day at a time. Um, and, you know, trying to not spend hours and hours watching Netflix, you know, watching YouTube, etc, etc, and, and kind of getting into something creating. Um, I've got loads of vlogs from from back last year Um, so it's been really good to have time to to go into that, uh, you know, some photo shoots and stuff that I hadn't edited pictures from, Um, go into that, kind of get all those things done Um, and you know I've really just been enjoying keeping productive but then on the weekend um, it's kind of the opposite, so then on the weekend I still allow myself to unwind as if I was not on lockdown Um, and, you know, this was just a never ending time, um, which, you know, it can definitely feel like. Moving on to the next one um, from Ryan, is the media and social media causing unnecessary and widespread panic. What do you think, Barry? It's a difficult
1: question because the media and social media is such a vague term and it encapsulates so many different people and different outlets, right? And so I think it's important to realize there is good and bad in the media. There are certainly some people who are going over the top and are spreading unnecessary panic. Yep. But there's also people who are sp- not spreading enough panic, right, and are not taking it seriously enough. And so right across the spectrum, there's various people talking about different ways of dealing with this. I think for us as individuals, it's important to take all of it with a pinch of salt to actually do your fact-checking and like look behind the scenes, try and understand what is the... the, what is the Audience that media outlets trying to sell into, how are they trying to clickbait? How are they trying to make money of this? Um, if we understand those incentives underneath those messages, it makes them a lot more palatable, makes them easier yeah. to understand. And uh, to realize that, please don't spend your whole day reading media stuff. Yep. Please, like like we said in the early episode, maybe take one or two moments during the day to check up and see what's going on around the world. But if you're going to spend your whole day watching CNN or watching Twitter or any of this stuff, you're gonna you're gonna feel miserable. So I yep. think. It's a hard question to answer. There's good and bad. Just take everything with a pinch of salt.
0: Hundred percent. Yeah, don't have too much to add to that. Um, I, I think there's something about panic. Um, that us as readers and listeners, um, you know, actually like to get swept up in. Um, and you know, I think that's what that's what media houses actually play to. Um, so it's up to us to close the taps. Um, you know, stop that constant inflow of information. Um, and you know, I think that that definitely helps. Uh, like Barry mentioned as well. Now, moving on to the last question. This one is from Michaela. And uh, she says, would love to hear a singing demo or different styles between you and Barry, just for fun. Barry, what do you think?
1: Oh, putting us on the spot here, Chad. (laughs) Uh, Michaela, I appreciate the question, but putting us on the spot big time. Um, I think Chad we lost a musical superstar in this last few days a guy by the name of Bill Withers who is an amazing voice and amazing songwriter from the Motown era Um, and uh, I I certainly was influenced a lot by his music and so Chad suggested that maybe we should do one of his songs what do you think Chad?
0: Absolutely well I think it's a great idea and uh, you know if at this point in the podcast this doesn't tickle your fancy at all it's right at the end you're not going to miss anything else Uh, so you can definitely tune out Um, but if you'd like to hear us have a little quick sing along um, we're going to quickly do a little bit of Ain't No Sunshine by Bill Withers. Okay, let me get my guitar. Cool. What a song there, Barry. Hopefully we did it some justice. I I (laughs) certainly enjoyed that. Something a little bit different for our podcast um, and hopefully paying tribute to such an amazing, such an amazing artist.
1: Yeah, R.I.P. Bill Withers. His his music stands with us today. I was listening to his backtrack the last couple of days and he's got some real, real amazing music. So R.I.P., uh, thoughts are with his family and uh, thank goodness for his music.
0: Absolutely. Well, that brings us to the close of yet another jam packed episode of Across the Pond. Uh, Barry, we're you, going through this thing as always. Uh, hopefully, we start to introduce ourselves to some new listeners. Yeah, please. If you guys know of friends of yours and might be interested in this
1: kind of thing, please do share it with them. We'd really love to, to grow our audience even bigger. Uh, we're loving doing this and we're getting lots of good feedback from it. So please do share it with us with people that you care about and in social media. We'd love to see it and we really appreciate you taking your time to listen to us.
0: Absolutely. If you are still listening right at the end of this episode, thank you so much for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed it in its entirety and this was episode 22 of Across the Pond. We'll see you next week. Pond, across the pond, with Barry and Chad